Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the international editor for Adweek. And uh, with me is a very special guest, uh, because, uh, well, I'll explain why in just a moment, uh, why I was so excited to have him uh, on the show with us this week, Tim Nudd. Editor-in-Chief of the Clio Awards, longtime Adweek editor, and co-founder of this very podcast. Tim, it is so great to have you back on the show. Thank you so much. I think it was episode 77 where I ducked out. So that was about 200 episodes ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, so you've been busy since I've been gone. <laughs> we, uh, we have, but it has never been the same without you. Uh, oh, thank you. So I should explain the context uh, that I am leaving Adweek uh, after eight years full time, 15 years, if you count the years I was freelancing for Tim Nudd. Um, and uh, it is obviously a very bittersweet moment. I'm going to be leaving to start a nonprofit called The Creative Ladder to help uh, make creative careers more accessible, uh, more inclusive. And we can talk about that a little more later. Uh, but the main thing is I just uh, felt like there was no better send-off uh, for, for me, <laughs> selfishly, uh, than to bring back one of the co-founders of this podcast. Uh, Tim was such a, a huge part of, well, of my life, of my career, but especially of getting this podcast off the ground. And we are uh, 200 and many, many episodes, nearing 300 episodes into this show Um and Tim, I'm curious, what do you re what's the oldest memory you have of us even like talking about this podcast and what what we wanted to do with it? Yeah, well, you know, I remember you were sort of the driving force for sure. I remember that the whole naming process, which was interesting, which, you know, the, the, the name turned out to be fantastic. Um, but yeah, I, I just remember it being, you know, there's there's many formats you can have for a podcast. And I think the the sort of staff chatting about the issues of the week was it was a really fun one. And yeah, I mean, I remember the early episodes just, you know, picking an ad or two. We had a little section in the middle where we where we played some audio from from new work. And it's funny, that was sort of the seeds of what ended up sort of leading me to my podcast, um, which we could talk about maybe a bit later, too. But um, yeah, I just remember it. You know, you you were, I think, into podcasting quite a, quite a bit before I was. 
And then when we launched this thing, it was really just a, a breath of fresh air. You know, like we had been blogging for many years and doing all sorts of lists and coverage and events and things. And then, you know, this was the natural next step. And it's become, I mean, it's become 300 episodes or, or close to it of great work. So, uh, yeah, it was fun to be around at the beginning. I remember recording some of them from the library here in town, which was, <laughs> I remember trying to get the, the you know, the, the sound right, which was always a challenge. Um, but yeah, I mean, you are certainly the driving force and, and have been ever since. So do you remember the meeting that resulted in the name of this podcast? Uh, I, we may have shared it at some point on this uh, show, but I'm guessing most people don't know how we ended up with such a ridiculous name. <laughs> I'm not sure I was in that final meeting. I remember there was a lot of different stuff on the wall and yeah, remind me what happened at that meeting. So, so I, I stand by this as a brainstorming tactic. We've used it quite a few times. I learned it in my agency life uh, before Adweek. But we would put four boards around the room, uh, you know, just sheets of paper. And we would bring a group in and have people rotate from one board to the other. And I forget exactly, but I think that each one had a different label. So, like, one was if we names about names inspired by Adweek, like names that reference Adweek, and then names that reference advertising. And then there was one that was like um, names that reference podcasting. Uh, mm. And then the fourth one was left field. And it was just whatever, <laughs> right, right. whatever you feel like putting on there. Um, and, and then we gave everyone like four stickers and they could go around the room and, and put a sticker on the names that they, um, that they liked. And I had been walking around and like thinking, oh, that's a pretty good one. Oh, that one's okay. And then none of the ones I thought were like would be winners ended up even getting like two stickers. And then the, I forget there was one that was kind of safe. It was called like ad pod, you uh -huh. know, <laughs> like something yeah, yeah, really yeah. generic. And then, <laughs> yeah, that's probably an ad. <laughs> um, Which had the perfect sort of meta sensibility to it. Like it was already sort of, we're kind of tired of ourselves and, and everything's, you know, everything's uh, manipulating you and whatever. Yeah, it was, it, this actually takes me back to how we named Ad Freak, by the way, which obviously that was in the in the pod of, of names referencing Adweek. But I remember Mark Dolliver had a fantastic, I don't know if I ever told you this story. I'm sure I have. Mark Dolliver, who was a columnist at the time, uh, he took the old John Wanamaker quote, uh, I know half of my advertising budget's wasted, I just don't know which half. And he suggested the blog should be called Half Wasted, which, you know, certainly in the left field uh, grouping, I would say. I know, it's like we've occasionally wrote, like, what if we had called Ad Freak Half Wasted? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I don't know if it would have held up quite to today, no. but I think in that moment of 2000 and what, like five? Four. When did Ad Freak? Yeah. Four. yeah. That was a that was an interesting era, and and that's something I wanted. So just to give uh, folks who who don't know our relationship, um, I I was a frequent commenter. I guess is the best way to put it. Um, when I started as a junior copywriter, I sat down on day one of my job, and I I was not just like I didn't have imposter syndrome. I just was an imposter. I had just <laughs> completely bullshit my way into a copywriting job after losing my job in journalism, and. Uh, I sat down on day one. They were like, okay, your team's on a shoot. So um, just, you know, get to know things. Familiarize yourself. I, I had no idea what to do. So I Googled uh, Adweek blog because I was like, I've heard of Adweek. I hope they have a blog. And I got Adfreak right away, which was our creative blog, uh, which uh, Tim was leading. And uh, yeah, that was it. That was like a life-changing moment. I would refresh it every day because we didn't have social media back then. <laughs> and I would just sit there refreshing it, hoping you guys had posted something new. 
And I think it was like a year later that you, <laughs> I wore you down like like the well, like we connected over. I know we connected over email, and you, you know, you became sort of a source of story ideas because you'd be sent, you'd send me emails every week, sort of, hey, check this out. And I, I just, in fact, when I heard about your your career change and your your heading to, to create Creative Ladder, I went back to my old emails. I never delete an email, so I have them all from 2007. To actually, this was 2005 or six, and. Yeah, it's funny how many emails you would send me each week with like, hey, check this out. And then I think it was when you suggested a backlink that I hadn't included on one story going back to an earlier story. I'm like, this guy knows the site better than I do. I should, we should probably just hire him and, and, and see how it goes. And this was pre-YouTube, of course, so it was actually difficult to show work in many instances. We didn't obviously have our own native media player. So many of those early stories, we would describe an ad rather than actually show an ad, which, uh, I mean, listen whatever works it's hilarious to go back and read some of those where it's like there's an ad running on tv right now <laughs> yeah it, it opens on a man <laughs> like, i can't find it right now but you'll have to trust me on this one um well that was uh i have to say just um it, it's surreal to go back and and i guess i would just say to make this more about uh you know you who are listening and not just about me and my own nostalgia you you just never know these moments that are going to change your life um really in dramatic ways and unpredictable ways. And that moment of Googling Adweek blog, finding Adfree, connecting with Tim, Tim offering me a writing gig, uh, which eventually turned into, uh, you know, guest editing and then eventually to being a full-time editor here. Uh, it, it has defined my entire life, right? It is de- everything good about it. Um, and it has been, you know, just so overwhelmingly uh, positive for me. Uh, so thank you, uh, Tim, for playing such a... Yeah, of course. You know, listen, you know, I think what we were doing, too, was interesting from the beginning. Like, we we sort of operated a little bit outside of of Adweek proper. We had our own little fiefdom over to the side. And, you know, like, kudos to Allison Fahey, Mike Chapman, Michael Wolf, you know, all the folks that ran that place that kind of let us do that over to the side. I think we... We tried to bring a little bit more of a fun, kind of irreverent feel to it. Like, you know, I joined Adweek in the late 90s. Adweek, Brand Week, Media Week, they were all sort of very jargony, very industry-focused. And this was such a fun industry that we just decided this should be more fun. And that was sort of our, you know, our goal from the beginning, certainly with with AdFreak in, in 2004. This was the time of, you know, subservient chicken and all that. Like, this work that was coming out was was getting weirder and, and funnier. And we sort of wanted to mirror that a little bit. And, yeah, I mean, when you came on board, it sort of supercharged us in that direction even further. I think something I've been thinking a lot lately is the role of, uh, of I guess, media in in advertising, but also the discussion around creativity and advertising is like we were snarky back then. We were certainly snarky. It was a very um, kind of biting era of Gawker and all that. Um, but I feel like we had a general sense of positivity that we didn't approach things from the cynicism of like advertising sucks, everything sucks. Like we would make jokes about it in that self-effacing way that I think you have to if you work in this industry. You can't actually think that you're, you know, saving lives every day. Yeah. But I, I feel like it set to me as someone working in advertising, it set ad freak it's in a, and that tone eventually kind of. You know, we we kind of ended up eating Adweek from the inside, uh, and and somewhat defining the the tone of voice that Adweek has now. That I think most people think of as Adweek really began mm-hmm. in this blog. Um, but I, I I feel like that that was an important decision to not be just 
there were plenty of other options if you wanted blogs that just like absolutely hated everything about advertising. <laughs> there were a lot, but most of those have not endured. And I think just people want something that's skeptical but not cynical. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I for feel sure. like that, that still holds up. Yeah, for sure. I mean, listen, like you got into advertising. I decided to cover advertising for a reason, you know, that I think we like advertising at its core, or at least the best of what advertising can do. I think we like it at its core. And uh, yeah, I mean, we got caught up in, you know, I remember a few different cringeworthy posts for sure from back in the day, but like we were sort of riding the zeitgeist while trying to figure out our own way at the same time. And of course you're going to, you know, you're going to go through evolutions and stuff. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think what's really fun about this industry is when you decide to sort of, instead of kind of, you know, ripping on the work that's not great, just ignore the work that's not great and focus on the work that is great. I mean, I think that's a great strategy and we eventually came around to that strategy. Uh, but it was always there. I agree. It was always there in the beginning because we did have this sort of core appreciation for not only the power of, of mass media, but just, you know, the, the fun stuff that was being done, you know, and I think, you know, but but I think part of the issue these days is it can be a draining industry. It can be difficult to work in. It can be demoralizing for the folks working in it. And to the degree that the media covering that industry can sort of at least try to help raise up the morale a little bit to the, to, to the degree that we can by by showing stuff that's inspirational or just having a little bit more fun. And, 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 you know, it wasn't just the blog. It was also social media that really changed Adweek's voice too. I mean, I think you, you were certainly a big driving force in that too, which is just have a bit more of a human voice in, in, in social. And, and, you know, Adweek certainly did not. I mean, we, we essentially, I remember, I remember creating the Adweek Twitter account. Like we started this thing from the ground, right? So we had to, we had a choice on how, to, on who we wanted to be there. And that certainly evolved in a more, fun way than, you know, a lot of trade publications, what you'd expect. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, the positivity is huge. I mean, that's who wants to, you know, who wants to read about, you know, nasty critiques. I mean, certainly if, if a large agency does something pretty, pretty horrendous, we, you know, we're going to cover that. But, you know, beyond that, I think the positivity was a huge part of who we are, who we are. Yeah, I think for me, a big takeaway from that and the, the the way that we ended up going from being these outsiders at Adweek and really, really highly marginalized, <laughs> like it's it's really hard to describe just how on the fringe we were uh, of this publication for, for several years. And then I think to me that was liberating in a certain way. It let us get away with a lot. It let us kind of figure out who we wanted to be without leadership breathing down our neck about why aren't you generating dot, dot, dot. You know, why aren't you following? They really just kind of largely ignored us. And that gave us that freedom to define what it is. And, and I think I've heard a lot of people complain when leadership ignores them. And I get it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't want to feel ignored. But on the other hand, sometimes it's good to, like, be a little bit off in this skunk work style. Like, uh, you know, it, it, you're not going to get a lot of the praise and attention, you may not get the most money, but I think you don't get a lot of opportunities like that in your professional life to just go and experiment and play mm-hmm. around when you're not under the microscope uh, until you screw up. And <laughs> then yeah, for sure. I mean, pre-Ad Freak, I wrote the back page of the magazine itself. It was called Shop Talk, which was kind of a primordial ad freak in a way, but it was you know way more monitored. Like Allison was very interested in trying to get memos and things that were happening in agencies. And it was really supposed to be sort of an agents inside agency kind of gossip page, which was difficult to do, first of all. Uh, but then when we had this blog, you know, yeah, we, we were sort of off on our own, which was super liberating. 
But then by the time Michael Wolf rolled around in 2010, 2011, I mean, we were generating a good chunk of the of the visits. And so we sort of became more central over time. And uh, creative coverage, I mean, the, the industry is about the creative work. So the creative coverage that we were doing was central in many ways. And, and that's how we grew the brand. So I have to tell one story and then I'll, I'll I promise I'll stop with the nostalgia. But it's something I, that has really stuck with me and that I share a lot. For one, for for those who don't know Tim, he is a, a headline writing genius on a level that I, I've never personally met anywhere anywhere else or found anywhere else. Uh, and so because of that, uh, you know, I was very lucky to uh, be edited by you for uh, for years and to really learn this headline style and, and to grow it together. I think we both kind of figured out what makes sense as like that Gawker blog era turned into the more modern, um, you know, we went through that phase of of all the good news blogs, you know, where everything was like hyper positive. And then, the, you know, they, we've seen all these trends and we kept trying to figure out who are we and what makes sense for us. Do we want BuzzFeed clickbaity headlines? Where do we draw the line? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the one that uh, I give headline writing trainings now every once in a while. And one of my rules is uh, a good headline is never written alone. Uh, that, you know, if you can collaborate with someone the way that we were able to, you end up in some places that you don't expect. And the one I always think about is when I had found a campaign on Behance, uh, which most people know, probably know is a um, creative portfolio site. And I was like, these ads are really clever. And this is back when Tim and I had trouble finding enough to write about every day because there really wasn't that much out on the internet uh, every day. And I was like, oh, this is nice. I'll reach out to the creators to find out if it's even real or is it spec. And they, and the guy was in, uh, it was from Ogilvy, Dubai, I think, and said, yeah, no, it's real. We actually did custom photography. We shot it. Uh, it ran in some magazines and no one noticed it and it went away. And it was for you and women. And uh, this was the autocomplete uh, truth, uh, mm-hmm. I believe is what they ended up calling it. And you and I went back and forth for, I, I've kept the timestamps, I've kept the entire chat uh, for 45 minutes, uh, nickel and diming this headline, mm. because it was a hard headline to write. The, the ads featured a woman's face, and then a Google search bar, and then they someone would had typed, women should never, and then it would autofill all the autocomplete suggestions, right? And, and these were real. Uh, these mm-hmm. were real suggestions from different parts of the world. So it was like, women should never speak unless spoken to, run for office, be athletes, whatever. Mm-hmm. It was all these terrible things. And so each ad had variations. A, a, a woman should always dot, dot, dot. And so we were trying to write this headline about what are these? Are these auto suggestions? Are they searches? Are they whatever? We go back and forth to the point where I was literally like, Tim, please let me let me die. Just let me go. <laughs> <laughs> I need to just move on with my life. And you were like, no, no, we're almost there. We're almost there. Like we're just one word away. We finished the headline, and I was like, thank God. And I moved on to all the other things happening uh, that day. And then um, you sent me a message like, are you watching the traffic? <laughs> and I was like, no. And you're like, it's it, Tim, a you know classic understater. And it was just like, it's, it's intense. And we ended up getting millions and millions of views on this, on this post. Um, and we were the first ones to elevate this campaign because, again, it had kind of been ignored when it came out. So it ended up on Behance. The next day, it's on BBC. People are messaging me all day. Like, everyone's writing about this campaign. Uh, and then you and I ended up at the Cannes Lions uh, the next June sitting in the award show, it wins a titanium lion. <laughs> and we're, and yeah. I'm just freaking out. And I think 
to be clear, this isn't me taking any sort of credit for that campaign. Obviously, it's wonderful work, and it ended up having a huge impact on you and women and, and really turning them into a major global marketer. Uh, but to me, it just goes to show two things. One is whoever you are, you can take the time to elevate great work, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. has nothing to do with um, the size of your audience or, or your social platforms or wherever or if you work for Adweek that it's worth doing. Like you never know. You just never know what impact it can end up having. Uh, and the other thing for me is it also showed to just be patient with packaging and with writing and to really collaborate even when you just want to say like, okay, it's good enough and just move yeah. on. Um, yeah, that's a yeah, fun story. I mean, listen, like I think, again, it, it's about mirroring the industry. You know, I mentioned before, like how we wanted to be as fun as the industry. We also tried to be, you know, to work on our craft as much as the industry works on its craft. So, I mean, I know that sounds kind of highfalutin, but we actually did that. And we just, you know, we wanted the stuff to be smart and and, and attract viewers. I mean, our headlines are the marketing for our stories. So we became the marketers of our stuff that way. And yeah, I mean, certainly collaboration, you know, my collaboration with you is incredibly fruitful through the years. And, you know, it, it it's part of those those creative partnerships that, that are in the industry as well. It kind of mirrored that. So yeah, to me, it's there's not you know certain certain overlaps between the journalism that we've done through the years and, and the advertising that's being made, and I think we tried to mirror the best you know the best parts of that. Well, let's uh, take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about your podcast tagline, uh, which is wonderful, and I have a lot of questions for you about it. So we will be right back. Hey there, podcast fam! Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. All right, we're back with Tim Nutt, Editor-in-Chief for the Clio Awards, co-founder of this podcast uh, and longtime editor at Adweek um, before he left to the Clios. Uh, Tim, tell us about your podcast tagline, uh, how it got started. Uh, You had mentioned that format, you know, in the early days of this show, we could have done an interview podcast. We could have done a highly produced This American Lifestyle thing. Uh, we decided we wanted it to be kind of a roundtable vibe. And I feel like that's such an important decision to make when you're creating something new. So tell me about the origins of, of Tagline. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the, the origins for me, 
you know, it is a narrative style. So I'm obs- I'm kind of obsessed with all those NPR kind of narrative style stuff. I mean, I've, I've, I've been a fan of This American Life forever. Kind of wanted to, you know, see if we could do that uh, within the advertising world. And, and the, the roots of it really go back to 2019, which was the 60th anniversary of the Clios. And, you know, for that, during that anniversary, we went back and we picked 15, I think, campaigns. And we went to track down one person who, who worked on each one, you know, iconic campaigns. Uh, and Dave G worked on this and, and he, we came back with all these stories that we'd never heard before about these campaigns that we thought we knew so well, you know, like Susan Hoffman talking about how everyone in Wyden hated the just do it line when Dan sort of forced them all to use it. And like, I'd never heard that before. And you know, this was true across the board with many of these. And so I thought, well, you know, if we're getting these great stories from one person per campaign, what if we talk to seven or eight people per campaign? kind of get all the different disciplines in there, the different perspectives. I bet if we could, you know, if we could do, you know, at the time it was Skype interviews, now it's (laughs) Zoom interviews, uh, just track down all the people that worked on something and just get all those different perspectives and try to weave it into a narrative where I could sort of, you know, tell the story and and sort of fold in audio from everyone I speak to. You know, I, I thought that it could work as a, you know, as sort of a nice format. And honestly, our early days of this show where we would do those those little highlights of the creative work each week, that was sort of in my mind too. Like I always liked those the way that you know we could cut away to the audio and it just sounded like a way to bring these campaigns to life, even if it's just audio based. It's you know it just feels like you're kind of in there and you're you're, you're sort of being exposed. And of course, several of the tagline episodes we've done have been about radio campaigns specifically, which is the perfect you know podcasting is the perfect format to cover those. So the very first one I decided to do, and you know this, I, I was obsessed with this ad forever, which was the Johnny Walker uh, man who walked around the world with Robert Carlyle. Um, a a very like, short, uh, quick, tidy little ad. How long is it? <laughs> it's about five minutes long and actually worked perfect because, you know, I cut it into like five pieces and I ran, the, you know, I, I ran bits of it throughout the, the episode. Talked to like four people, I think, you know, Jamie, Ruben. Uh, the editor and of course the the uh, the director and that was the first one I cut together and I was like this this actually works like pretty well you know and I had to learn a lot myself I wasn't a great host initially it's sort of like the first episode of The Simpsons when you look back it's like wasn't really fully formed yet um, but yeah so I picked for the first season we we did you know twelve thirteen episodes and we're in the middle of season two now and uh, it's been really fun for me I mean I spent my whole career writing I mean I wrote some longer stuff some a few ad week cover stories here and there. Uh, but mostly my, you know, my stories were 500 to 800 words, sometimes shorter. So building scripts that are, you know, 10,000 words or more sometimes, it takes a long time and doing all the interviews and, um, but you know, the idea to me, the idea of tagline is really to look back at older work and try to, you know, unearth what was, you know, what's still relevant about it. Uh, and also just be entertaining. Like the, the, the stories of how these things came together is, is super entertaining and I think they're, in some ways, they're aspirational in a way that you don't normally think of things being aspirational. Like normally in advertising, you look at something, you know, some great piece of work, and it seems like it was just fully formed, and that's supposed to be aspirational to you. Like, oh, I want to do that. But to me, that's sort of a high bar, right? And telling the stories about how, you know, this thing almost didn't come to be, or the first iteration of the idea was kind of stupid, or, you know, the client hated it, or all these obstacles that get in the way, when you hear the whole context like that, that is actually more aspirational because you can be like, okay, my first idea doesn't have to be perfect. I can, you know, encounter these obstacles all along the way and I can overcome them perhaps. 
And so it's almost like trying to make it a little bit more, you know, relatable, the creative process and sort of realizing that there's so many mistakes and missteps along the way. Uh, and every episode that we've done, I think, kind of does that. Um, and, but, the, you know, the interesting thing, too, about great work is that somewhere along the way, there's a leap, right? It's not just about being smart. It's not just about having a cool idea. It's actually taking a leap. And so in, in every one of these stories, that leap that gets taken kind of becomes, I suppose, like the narrative crux of the of the episode. So all the stuff leading up to that and then all the stuff after that, uh, you end up with kind of a nice narrative arc. And I'm still working working on it. Not every episode is is great, but um, but I think we, we are sort of wringing the value out of these old works. And there's certainly some nostalgia in there too. Um, but it's been pretty successful so far. And I think, you know, it's hard to start anything from, from scratch. I'm sure you'll, you're in that now with creative ladder, but, um, but yeah, the industry I think has taken a shine to it and, and I can't wait to do more of them. I mean, they're a lot of work, but, but I think they're worth it. Yeah. The, the, you mentioned finding the, you know, the relevance aspect of it. And that's something I've always struggled with, uh, you know, and you and I both dealt with this as, you know, as middle-aged guys in this industry who started at a time when you had your, all your heroes of advertising were a certain kind of cut of person generally, um, which is to say white, male, Alex Bogusky-esque. Like there was a lot of hero worship yep. when I got into this industry. That has changed dramatically. And sometimes I get really conflicted about looking back fondly on any any era of advertising, it's like I start to think about all the things that all the voices that weren't included, all the marginalization that was happening, some of the people who kind of got flushed out of the industry eventually. But I'm curious what kind of response you've gotten from younger talent, rising talent, because I feel like there's a certain vibe of of veteran creatives who say like they see Guinness Surfer or whatever and they say, oh, that's back when advertising was advertising. That's back when people cared <laughs> about craft. Mm -hmm. Um and I just recoil against that attitude, right? It implies that that talent isn't, you know, that young talents aren't putting a tremendous amount of effort into craft now. Mm -hmm. It's just different. It's just different format. And you're still getting, you're getting 10-minute ads now. It's not like the industry has has yeah. abandoned storytelling. But but what kind of response have you gotten from, from younger folks who did not necessarily grow up worshiping these campaigns mm -hmm. and, and how have they reacted? Yeah, I mean, I think we actually get quite a bit of interest from younger talent. I think those not knowing those stories, I think is, is fun for them to sort of hear, hear these stories, but you're right. I mean, you know, a good example is the real men of genius episode that we did this year. I mean, I can't invent who worked on that. Right. So it was ended up being nine dudes, one woman in that episode, which, you know, that's obviously not ideal, but you know, I think what we try to do is certainly try to find out who actually worked on them, not just the top names, right? You, you find out, you often, more times than not, will find more diverse folks who actually worked on something and, and created, you know, had a significant impact on it. Um, we also cover new work. You know, we're covering, we're doing, a, I'm writing an episode right now about the uh, Beats by Dre, the You Love Me spot from a couple years back. So it's 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 definitely a balance. But um, listen, I think there's lessons to be learned, even even though the staffing on a lot of these campaigns, you know, was, was sort of old school. Um, the, the truths, the fundamental truths about the work and how it was made, um, I think still can inspire as long, you know, and, and, and we recognize, hey, if it wasn't, uh, you know, the glory days of advertising were, were sort of anything but. Um, but the truths that still, you know, that these campaigns still bring to light today, I think is valuable. 
regardless of that. And we are exploring different ideas for formats going forward because part of the problem with this podcast, honestly, is that we can't produce that many of them that quickly because it, it takes a month to do one of them. So I'm, I'm toying with the idea of, of looking at more recent work, doing some more interviews here and there. We've done a few different types of uh, episodes lately, the last week or the last couple of weeks. Uh, so I think that there's there's room to sort of expand beyond our core uh, idea for the format for the show, too. I, I'm curious, you know, just as you were talking about the format of your show, and I'm thinking about all the episodes uh, that you've done, it feels like there's every, maybe a few times a year, someone tries to bring back a classic campaign, right? And like they try yeah. to reboot it. And I'm sure there are exceptions, but I feel like overwhelmingly they don't do great. Right. Why do you think that is? Is it just because they are so tied to their times? Like, it feels like we get a what's up uh, reboot every few mm-hmm. years. Oh, now it's robots. Now it's whatever. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, real men of genius type things come back. Like, why? What is it about those that keeps them from being able to, to return? Well, I think any retread is pretty difficult. Right. I mean, the idea is is it's based on borrowed equity. It's not really fresh and new. Um, so yeah, I think I'm trying to think of one that has been good. I don't know if there has been one that's been good, um, or, or <laughs> exceeded the original. There's no Godfather two in advertising. Um, I think the only, the only thing, and it's not a direct, uh, of course, is the little lad who loves berries and cream. <laughs> got a, got a <laughs> oh, second yeah. life, even though Starburst had nothing to do with it. And the I TikTok don't think, version. Yeah. Just blowing up on TikTok, uh, and but I mean, it, it was one of those where it only works ironically. It's a bit like Morbius coming back to theaters because there were so many memes about it. And the, and Sony was like, oh, they love it. They love this movie. Yeah. And then it comes back and like, no, we were, it was just a joke. Like, we, <laughs> so I think you have to draw yeah. a line between like, is it popular popular or is it just meme popular? But A lot of but beer campaigns do this. You mentioned the, the Real Men of Genius. I think, you know, the High Life Man has come back once or twice. I think I just get the sense that there's sort of a cynical corporate, you know, machinations behind that. Usually it's like, oh, well, we've got this asset that's 10, 20 years old. Let's kind of wring whatever we can out of it. And it doesn't feel fresh, not just because it's happened before, but just because the the approach is sort of, you know, exploitative, I suppose. Well, and like, uh, I, uh, why am I blaming on two, the I'm a Mac, I'm a PC? What was it officially called? Oh, get a Mac, uh huh. Get a Mac, yeah. The um, interestingly, like just in the last two years, uh, Apple has brought back John Hodgman mm. and Intel has brought back Justin Long. <laughs> Long, yeah. I knew I knew Justin wasn't going to speak to me for that episode because he had he had moved over to become a PC, <laughs> switch sides. Yeah, and John's always been hesitant to piss off Apple, so. Um, we actually, yes. we, we used, we used audio from camp from Doug Quinqua's ca- uh, campaign podcast from five years ago where John and Justin did sit down with him. So that's how we got around that, which was kind of fun. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, well, well, I would encourage everyone check out tagline, uh, is such a great show. You really cannot find a host with a more encyclopedic knowledge and just a bigger heart for advertising and for creativity than Tim. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, um, I don't know. Well, I can sit here and talk for like 45 minutes about how appreciative I am of you. Um, but it's not like either of us is dying. Uh, we'll still be around. I will still be 
I will still come calling in my new life as a nonprofit founder. Um, but uh, big thanks for, for everything you've done to get this podcast off the ground and to be such a big role in my life and many other lives, Tim. Absolutely, man. Likewise. Um, I don't know if we have time to, I'd love to hear a little bit about Creative Ladder if you, if you have time to uh, go into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I'd so, love to hear your sort of vision for what you think it could be. Yeah, the, the, thank you. It's uh, so Creative Ladder is um, there's three of us co-founding it. Uh, Deanna Dorsey Calloway, who runs uh, uh, her own fashion line called District of Clothing, uh, just a spectacular person, and and really, I would not have co-founded this. I would not have pursued this without her. Um, so luckily, she agreed to do it. Uh, our third co-founder is Ryan Reynolds, uh, who I think works in advertising. Um, he seems like he's he pops up every once in a while. Um, and a lot of this, uh, I mean, I owe 100% of this to Adweek. I met Deanna through Adweek. Um, I met uh, Ryan through Adweek. And uh, around the time that he and I, I were talking at uh, Brand Week, I was interviewing him on uh, at uh, our Brand Week event. And we just started talking about inclusion. And the more, the farther he had gotten into owning Maximum Effort, the advertising agency that does so much great work for them, um, that the more he saw how... Uh, Inclusive talent made such a huge difference on the quality of the work, and the 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 more inclusive they became, the better their work became. And he was doing a lot of things quietly behind the scenes, so as not to seem like he was just trying to get attention for himself, but to make uh, everything he was involved with more accessible uh, for rising talent, uh, especially from uh, you know communities that had been historically discriminated against. And so he just said, I wish there were something bigger we could do. And that's a dangerous thing for someone like Ryan to ask someone like me. So I said, well, if you're serious, um, I can come back with some ideas. And that was almost two years ago. Uh, and so uh, at Cannes uh, last month, um, it, he asked if that was a good time to announce it. And I said, sure. Uh, so he announced it uh, at Cannes that uh, Creative Ladder will be uh, basically, a way to envision what we'll be doing is 50% of our effort goes into student outreach. Uh, we've done a lot of uh, a lot of research uh, into what is holding back inclusion uh, in creative industries. <laughs> a big part of it is just lack of awareness. Just people aren't told that these careers exist until after they've already gone through college or they've already made career choices. Uh, and that's that's not necessarily always the case, but I will say that overwhelmingly a lot of the talent, especially talent of color that I've talked to say, if I had just known earlier, it would have given me a head start. I, I could have I would have known right away that this is for me. And uh, so we're just going to be going to high schools, in some cases, colleges and community groups, just letting uh, young talent know we're going to be partnering with folks from those communities uh, to come back. Uh, that There's been so much passion uh, from people saying, like, please bring me back to Detroit. Bring me to uh, Chicago. I want to go back and talk to the schools in the neighborhoods where I grew up to tell them, hey, these jobs are out there and they're awesome. And I'm having so much fun. And we're making such a difference on the way the world uh, sees uh, sees us. And um, so that that's 50% of it. The other 50% is addressing the other biggest obstacle, which is a lack of leadership training. Uh, 80% of people we surveyed who are in this industry said that they are not getting uh, leadership training in any form. Uh, so we're creating uh, what we hope will be affordable and accessible leadership training. Uh, we, we obviously hope that the, that the companies within these creative industries will support that and will help keep those prices low and, and support the nonprofit. 
Uh, and we're going to, we're going to have a, a annual leadership conference, a creative leadership conference that'll be two days, uh, hoping to kick that off this November. Hilton has stepped forward uh, and as a tremendous sponsor of the nonprofit, but also to host the event. Uh, so huge thanks to them. Deloitte, uh, really, as soon as they heard what we were up to, Deloitte was like, we, we want to support in a huge way. Uh, so big thanks to them as well. And since then, since Ryan announced it, it's it, the, the doors got blown right off the hinges and we were yeah. um, unprepared for the level of interest. <laughs> that, oh, that's great. That's really great. It's a good problem to have. So. And as uh, your chief content officer, so how do you, what's your role exactly? You're building curriculums and things? Yeah. So first off is building the curriculum, building the student outreach, which we've had several agencies offer to help build those materials uh, mm-hmm. to just get students excited. It's not like a four hour boot camp. It's like, yeah, you know, fun. a 30 minute talk. Yeah. Um and uh, and then building the leadership training curricula, we're going to have a virtual leadership academy and, of course, our event and building a ton of content like yourself. I'm just really passionate to get as much content out there as we can about each of these jobs. And as most people listening to this know, there are hundreds, hundreds of different jobs in creative industries. If you include design, production, uh, brand side, agency side, hundreds and hundreds of jobs and new jobs popping up every single year. Uh, so just to get the content out there about what is this job, what does it do, how do you get trained for it, how much does it pay, uh, and how can you find a mentor to help you learn more about that role. Uh, so there is infinite content <laughs> to be created yeah, no in a uh, reliable space. So that's well, the uh, three of you. Uh, the three of you bring such expertise, but such different expertise, which I find to be interesting. So um, it's great that you got this momentum already going forward. And yeah, I mean, listen, congrats on your run at Adweek, which was amazing. And uh, I can't, ha- haven't been this excited about a startup in the business for a while. And I'm, I'm very curious to see how, how, how it plays out. I think it's such an issue dogging the industry right now, and it has been forever. And, you know, when people cover it in this industry, it's almost like sometimes people are talking about it separate from the work. But as you say, it's not separate from the work. It is about getting better work. It's about getting work that really relates and, and, and moves people and reaches people and, uh, yeah, going about it and, you know, trying to improve the industry in this grassroots way, I think is, is super worthy. So wish you all the luck. Well, thanks so much, Tim. And thanks for coming back on the show. It's been a while. It's been great to be back on. Well, uh, I'm sure we will talk again soon, but thanks so much for making time for us. Thanks, man. Uh, We're going to take a break and then we'll be back for, uh, one final conversation. Uh, so stick with us. We're back. Um, we're now joined by Shannon Miller, the co-host of this very podcast and the creative and inclusion editor here at Adweek. I should quickly clarify that the reason Shannon was not on the earlier segments and is going to sound a little different today is uh, you've been having some, some voice issues this week and we're trying to go easy on you. But thank you for making time to be on the last part of the show. Thank you for accepting me as I am, even though I sound like I'm a pack short of a chimney. Um, I'm glad that I could, we could find a way to make this work. Hey, everyone so, at home. As, uh, very, very wonderful of Shannon to join, uh, as, uh, as she has dealt with a week of just never fun, uh, throat voice issues, uh, especially when you, when you host a podcast, but, uh, we'll be back at full strength soon. Uh, but without me, because as we've been talking about on this episode, uh, it's my last, my last one formally. And, uh, it's. I, I want to make sure that you and I had some time together to talk at the end, uh, because you're amazing and you are such just a wonderful colleague, a wonderful friend, and I am so excited to be able to 
hand off this podcast uh, that we've been working on for many years um, and to hand it off, leaving it in the, the hands of someone who uh, is just such a tremendous person, great host, great interviewer, uh, and just really has such a uh, wonderful heart for this industry. So uh, so thank you, Shannon, for everything. It's been been so great working with you. Butter me up on the way out, eh? Just give me some, like, ease the ease the raging anger that I'm losing the the best ghost and, and friend that I've had in a while. Um, thank you, thank you a lot. Um, it's, I mean, I should be speechless. No one should should hear uh, me at this juncture in time. But um, it, it didn't really hit me until. I guess earlier today, just kind of like the legacy this podcast has held. I The first time that I was ever on this podcast, I think it was in, oh God, it was before I was here in any official capacity. Was it 2020? Um, I remember we, we had you on to talk about, what, like Lovecraft Country? That, I don't know it, if that was your first one. It was, we were, I was on to talk about... The, the intention was for me to talk about the the Beacon Awards um, because I had written the cover story um, honoring the Black Lives Matter founders. What it did turn into <laughs> was um, <laughs> our usual um, nerd fest because whenever we're around each other, we can't help but divulge into just nerd ramblings. So, yes, the, the answer is yes. I was there to talk about Lovecraft Country. <laughs> And that's what we did. That's what we did for quite some time. Poor, poor Co. The, the our co-host was just like, I don't know anything about this show. <laughs> poor We're both just like, well, let me tell you about this show. <laughs> Co there. No, that wasn't an invitation. <laughs> Co there to just quietly let things happen as she does. Um, th- th- that was really, really wonderful and and so fun, and it really changed what I initially thought what a marketing podcast would be Um, because that was sort of when I was um, connected to the industry in a very like peripheral way. And so for me, I was like, what am I going, what am I going to do on this, on this podcast when I just finished writing an article about um, like a recent doctor who special, like what could I possibly contribute to this marketing podcast. And what's been so great um, about not only being a co-host on the show, but being a fan on this show is just how welcoming it is to, you know, all folks, whether you are deeply embedded in this industry or just have a passing curiosity. And the reason it's that way is because it's indicative of its host and the person that has established this this legacy. Um, I have not met a person um, that has ever come into contact with Griner and been like, that dude was not welcoming. It's usually like <laughs> Griner. Oh yeah. He's, he's freaking incredible. We talked about such and such for, for a long time. And it, that ethos kind of has carried on to this show to be something that is just, um, really really spectacular and and truly special in that way and it, it didn't hit me that that's a, a really like long legacy that has been carried on I don't know why in my brain I always feel like 
yeah, that's probably an ad started like eight months ago. It didn't. It's been around for so, so long. And it's a standard in this industry because it it bears just your general welcoming and, and wonderful and kind attitude. And I am really nervous and deeply honored to carry that on in the best way possible. And I'm not usually a person that comes in, well, at least in this instance, I'm not going to be a person that's like, let's shake things up. Like, I, my goal is to to keep what makes this show so lovely um, as intact as possible. Because I think um, anything that David Greiner builds is something that should be preserved um, for audiences and people to come. So that is what my gift to you will be, is making sure that this carries on in, in as much of a grinder fashion as possible. I mean, that means so much to me. Um, but also I would say like, I, I, I feel like all day that today we're recording this on my last day at Adweek um, after a very, after a, very, a long run and it's been very emotional, but also I, I keep like telling people to fight against nostalgia <laughs> against the, <laughs> like this belief that things were ever um, better uh, some things were better, uh, but th- there is no time. Like I could look back very fondly on times I've had with Tim, uh, who was on earlier in the show, and you know different parts of my time here. But I've never been part of Ad Week at a time that was more rewarding than now, um, and where I've loved it more, and that's made it so difficult to leave. Uh, but I'm leaving to do something uh, pretty cool, and so it just—I always say you should run towards something and not away from something. Like when you're trying yeah. to make career moves, and. Uh, luckily, I ended up in a situation where I was able to do that. Um, but, you know, I, I certainly hope this podcast keeps uh, keeps going in the sense that it was created to give Adweek uh, colleagues a place to talk each week uh, and to let the listeners in on the conversations we were having sometimes, but we didn't even have a lot of opportunities in the pre, you know, pre zoom era. We, we didn't get to talk to each other as much as we wanted to. Mm. And when I started as our social editor a long time ago, I felt like everyone I worked with was so cool and so smart and so, you know, interesting and fascinating, but the readers weren't getting to see that they weren't really getting to be exposed to the people just like the output. And, you know, that's why Tim and I talked a little bit about the origin of the show. We didn't want it to be an interview podcast. We didn't want it to be um, a thought leadership podcast or even a heavily produced show. Um, we just wanted it to be uh, groups of of uh, coworkers. And we're lucky to work in this very large newsroom where we can rotate in different people every week. And uh, you can go months and months without even repeating. Um, I, I hope that part endures. The rest, you know. Everything's flexible, and I, I'd like the the silly intro I do each week that <laughs> that can go like everything everything about what we do um, is uh, and and this is true of everything is like what makes Adweek so enduringly successful is that it keeps changing and it keeps evolving because of people like you, um, and it's it always gets better. Uh, so you know whatever happens, I think it'll be great. And I'm I'm just so appreciative to have you here uh, and to to take a take this on 
And uh, yeah, uh, one thing selfishly I'll say for those who want to reach me, uh, my non-Adweek email is going to be david at creativeladder.org. That's david at creativeladder.org. Uh, you can also just go to creativeladder.org and find out information about what I'll be doing and how to reach uh, me and my co-founders. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I'm also, you know, Grinder on Twitter. You can find me on anything. I'm, I'm entirely too accessible. But uh, with that, we'll wrap it up. It's been uh, it's been a long conversation. It's been a long day. I am... Um, I am finishing my run at Adweek, so uh, with such a full heart and also like a heavy heart, but uh, but in all the good ways. And the staff has been so just deeply wonderful on the way out the door, and um, I'm sure we will we will all be friends for a long time. So maybe I'll be back on here. Maybe. So, what do you mean, maybe? <laughs> you think you think I'm not going to have you on as a guest at least like quarterly? You you've lost your mind. I'm. I'll, I'll, I'll send you some pitches, like interview <laughs> interview suggestion, colon. <laughs> like, this guy. Well, we're, we're not an interview podcast, so I don't, I don't know. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> but but I, I am really excited for your brand new connections, because maybe that means one day we'll have um, the megawatt star known as Deanna Dorsey on this podcast. Uh, the, the other the other founder is fine. I, I am yeah. a Deanna stan from... I, from jump and that, and that is where my laser focus is. The, the, yeah, no, I agree with that. I think uh, that really just Ryan Reynolds is more like a a figurehead, just owed us some favors. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Deanna Dorsey Calloway is just a a tremendous uh, friend and CEO and advocate for this industry. I'm so honored to get to uh, host a show with her, and she's gotten a bunch of podcast interviews lately, so she'll probably be popping up on some shows. Uh, it's it's great to see her voice getting out there. Um, really a fantastic role model for folks coming into this industry. Uh, but yeah, uh, so much more to do. So yeah, maybe, uh, maybe I'll be back on sometime and talk about how it's going, but, uh, well, I'm good luck out there, Shannon. Thank you. It's, it won't be weird at all interviewing (laughs) you in, in a fork in a formal capacity. Um, I, I don't even know what my like final on air words, um, to you should be. And I did not think them out. And that is usually something that spells a lot of disaster for me. Um, so I'm not going to attempt anything too lofty. But um, thank you very much for trusting me to be a co-pilot on something so big and essentially um, setting me up to inherit something really, really cool. And I'm really excited to um, continue it in its silly, wonderful, and um uh, informational and informal fashion. So, um, yeah, love you, buddy. This is weird, and I don't like it. I don't, I don't like change much. So, um, this is a, a weird moment for me. But I'm also um, really excited to continue on um, in sort of the next era uh, of all of this, and those details will be forthcoming. But, um, yeah. I'm I'm just wildly proud of you and everything that you are doing for the industry, for people that look like me and don't look like me. And um, yeah, I, I've been saying it all day how just how much like this tracks for Griner to be doing something like this that's just going to leave the industry in a much better position than he found it. 
And um, I just, I, I can't wait to see what you do next. So thank you. Well, if you don't mind, I've prepared a little statement I want to read for the end of our, our last episode. Of course. Thank you for listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. Uh, this podcast was produced by Al Manorino and edited by Lane McGivney at Beltwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. And you can stay up to date on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter. It's Adweek Podcasts on Twitter, Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or a suggestion for the show, drop us an email. Drop them an email. At podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for letting me read that, Shannon. <laughs> One take grinder. There was no other option because we would have been here all night if it had been me. <laughs> so, all right. Beautiful. Take care. Beautiful. Take care, everybody. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.